uh, here with us today. A special thanks to Capital Link and uh, Nicolas Bornozis for organizing um, this panel in particular, uh, of distinguished experts in their fields, to discuss current uh, maritime policy and regulation. Let me present first of all our panelists, although I'm sure you know them already. Uh, on next to me, I have uh, Mrs. Magda uh, Kopczynska, Director of uh, uh, Waterborne, Directorate General for Mobility and Transport, the European Commission. And next, Mr. Guy Platten, Secretary General of the International Chamber of Shipping. Next to him, Mr. Filipos Filis, President of the European Community of Ship Owners Association and CEO of Lemmy Solar Navigation. Mr. Arsenio Dominguez, Director, Marine Enforcement Division of the IMO. And last but not least, uh, Mr. John Xilas, member of the board of the Union of Greek um, Ship Owners and President and CEO of Aristo Navigation Corp. So if I may um, begin perhaps with the people who uh, provide the, regulate, the regulations and the policies and they make the policies, um, Magda, um, I'd like to ask you, there are currently a number of uh, regulations uh, coming from, um, uh, you know, trying to regulate in the maritime sector and especially um, regarding decarbonization of the maritime sector. Um, both at EU level, uh, national level, and international <coughs> level. And the, uh, my question is: Is this is this really the right approach um, towards decarbonisation of um, the maritime industry, or are we creating market anomalies and um, uh, distorting competition by not, uh, you know, through all these regional um, schemes? What's your view? Okay. Um, thank you, thank you very much, and, and big thanks to Capital Link for inviting us here. On top of the, I mean, it being good to be in Athens and to meet with the Greek shipping community, it's actually very, very nice to be in person. We have done similar panels before virtually, but there's no comparison. Um, and questions do not get easier when we when we do it live, unfortunately. But um, I don't know actually how much time we have because we are so late. But maybe. I, I think it's, it's, the answer is easy and difficult. And we heard it uh, already today in, some, uh, in, in the earlier panels that one thing that, well, any sector of economy, but the shipping sector, I think, in particular, needs is predictability and long-term legislative stability. And we absolutely fully subscribe to that. It was also good to hear today so much being spoken about the need of the sector to manage the challenge of decarbonization. It came from the industry, it came from the Greek uh, Minister of Shipping. And when you take those two things into consideration, I think we all agree that what we need to do fast is we need to do the regulation. And yes, of course, a global legislative framework is preferred because we are dealing with a global sector. But with all the risks that I'm taking now, on occasions it is easier for some pieces of legislation for a regional entity like the European Union 
to go faster. We had seen it before. We had seen it with single double hull. We had seen it with other solutions that first happened at the EU level and were then reflected at the IMO level. We had the other situations when IMO went fa fast and first, and we picked it up and transposed it into European legislation to make sure that in the EU we have a level playing field and we have the same competitive situation for all ships that call at EU port. And in a way, what we are doing now, yes, we did come up with a package of proposals July last year, several of them addressing shipping, saying very clearly what is the EU vision in terms of objectives that shipping has to achieve at, uh, when it comes to decarbonisation. But at the same time, we are working closely with international partners, working closely with the IMO to make sure that we get the global framework for decarbonisation as quickly as possible. And I stress again, as quickly as possible, your ships will need to be changed at some point. The earlier you know for what type of ships you will need to change, the better for you. The earlier the market knows for which type of ships you will be looking, the earlier the market will be ready. The earlier the maritime uh, ecosystem knows what type of fuels need to be there, the earlier those fuels will be there and fuel producers will deliver them and fuel infrastructure will be there. So speed is needed. But seriously, the European framework is there. But the moment we will have global framework agreed and in place, we will find ways to make sure that they are adjusted because neither you, nor I, nor EU member states will agree for, shipping calling, for ships calling to EU ports to pay double. Thank you. Thank you, Magda. And uh, since uh, you spoke about global um, regulation, I think I will ask Arsenio, uh, should the IMO uh, take the lead um, to come up with implementable regulation on a global scale uh, to establish level playing field? I mean, I'm conscious that currently uh, I hear there are about 45 different regimes internationally. Um, so um, what's the plan? <laughs> uh, thank you. And um, in echoing Magda's words, uh, so thank you for the organizers for this kind of invitation. Um, it's, it's so much better when we can actually speak to each other face to face. Um, and in particular on these kind of topics, uh, I'm quite passionate about. Um, and the, the answer is yes. That, that's the mission uh, of the organization, is to bring everyone together. It's a global industry. Um, it needs global frameworks, it needs global regulations. Um, and it's good to hear that even when some other regions or countries may move slightly ahead of the organization, that the objective continues to be the same one, and that at the appropriate time, there will be just one global standard. Because what we don't want is fragmentation within the industry. And this is where on the process, on the regulatory process of the organization, um, we bring all the stakeholders to the table. Uh, it's not just the countries, it's all the shipping industry's representatives. Um, it's the environmental uh, NGOs, uh, organizations. So we are all part of the, the process. We all look and seek the same goal, the decarbonization of the shipping industry, um, looking at the different factors that may affect some regions and countries more than others, and making sure within the UN spirit that we all move forward together and that we provide the necessary assistance to, to those that may need more than others. Okay, thank you. Um, okay, let's uh, let's hear uh, the view of the of the ship owners. Then, um, uh, John, 
Um, is the um, EU trading emission system or any of the other regulatory measures which we are currently um, facing, and the, the, some of them that are coming up, the answer to the problem? Um, what do you think? If it's not, why and uh, what should we change? What, what proposals um, do you have? Thank you, Alex. And uh, I would also like to thank the organizers for the invitation. It's very nice to meet in person at last, after two years. Um, and it's important to, to gather and exchange views, uh, but uh, I think uh, the, um, discussing things between or amongst ourselves is not good enough. I think uh, the message has to be re uh, to, to go further away to the wider audience, uh, to the not only to the uh, regulators and the politicians and the NGOs and uh, the media, but also to the wider audience, which is the, the, the people and the perception that the people have uh, about a lot of those things. Because once it reaches them, it will, you know, conferences like this will make a difference. Um, now, let me start by saying that, unlike some of my fellow panelists, I do not have an engineering background. I'm an economist by training, so I will have to use some of my notes uh, to answer the questions. As a general comment, I would say that I believe there is a long-term vision in the IMO, uh, and, uh, uh, and the proposed regulations. And uh, although there are some arguments regarding uh, the pace, some with merit, some without. Um, the EU regulations are regional, and regional regulations are problematic by definition. Uh, and I will go to the specific uh, EU ETS uh, that uh, was mentioned earlier and the fuel EU proposals, uh, which in my opinion are uh, unnecessary. And I will uh, give you a few highlights why I think they're uh, problematic and unnecessary. Uh, going to the EU ETS, um, it has two shortcomings. A, it is regional, and B, it is a trading scheme. Uh, it is a land-based system being implemented to an industry that is so different. And especially small to medium uh, enterprises will bear the, uh, the lion's share of the burden. Uh, we at uh, the UGS, the Union of Greek Shipowners, believe a levy system is more appropriate and uh, more effective. And there are three points uh, to note here. Firstly, that uh, in order to safeguard sustainability of EU shipping, any proposed uh, legislation by the EU must be compatible with the inherent characteristics of the international shipping industry, uh, while remaining also compatible with the IMO rules and, uh, and the IMO standards. Uh, this is because the viability of EU shipping, which is primarily international and cross-trading, depends on the existence of an effective global uh, regime. Um, secondly, which uh, I consider very important, the polluter pays principle must be properly implemented. The commercial operator, uh, the actual polluter, who determines the cargo carried, who determines the itinerary, the routing, the speed of the ship, must be made responsible for the cost of the compliance with the EU ETS directive. So, according to Eurostat, uh, the EU accounts for around 15% of the world's trade in goods, and it controls about 35% of the fleet. So over half of the fleet is cross-trading, servicing third parties, and 
This is strategically very important. The majority of that is Trump shipping, which faces additional burden because by nature it does, it does not follow regular routes. Uh, Trump owners do not know when, where, or at which speed the commercial operator will take the ship. So the commercial operator is structurally part of their business. It's not incidentally part of their business. Uh, therefore, he should bear his share of responsibility. Now, in the good news of the day, there has been an increasing number of voices endorsing that view. Uh, recently, BIMCO did so in an update policy statement. And uh, I was reading yesterday an article about a major U.S. commodities giant, Cargill, who also took the same view. Um, now, obviously, we need research and development, and uh, the money needs to go on uh, developing alternative marine fuels and technologies. Uh, and uh, this is uh, only possible through dedicated funds. Uh, now, going to the fuel EU maritime, I'll just say a few words here. Again, I believe this is a problematic uh, measure, proposal. It's regional and uh, with extraterritorial application, as it is uh, especially challenging to consistently source and verify compliance with specified uh, fuel. Uh, the availability of the required compliant fuels worldwide is a matter of additional concern, uh, as is the potential distortion of competition between EU and non-EU uh, suppliers and ports. So I think it's highly inappropriate to oblige ships to comply with this proposed regulation instead of EU fuel suppliers. Uh, who should be the responsible party for the availability, the distribution, and the supply of appropriate, safe, and fit-for-purpose fuels. Uh, the fuel suppliers, though, as we all know, have a stronger voice. Uh, they have an effective, uh, lobby, effective lobbying capabilities, and therefore a political influence that the shipping industry is lacking. And we have to be frank about that. So the UGS supports uh, the Greek proposal for the legal responsibility to be on the EU marine uh, fuel suppliers. And uh, ships uh, at EU ports, as well as the exclusion of the incoming voyages from the application of this regulation. And I will uh, stop here, because I think I've taken too much of your time. Thank you. Thank you, John. Um, Philippe, John uh, referred to um, uh, technologies and uh, fuels as well as uh, research and technologies and, techno and um, uh, research and development, sorry. How do we decarbonize the maritime industry uh, in an environment without enough clarity um, as to which technologies and which fuels will prevail and how important is focusing on uh, research and development? Um, and what's currently uh, been done on that front? Uh, thank you, Alexander. Uh, I would like also to thank uh, the family Bornozis for keeping inviting me and inviting me to uh, these panels. Uh, a million dollar question, uh, Alexander, but uh, what can I say? I think uh, decarbonization has uh, four pillars. The first pillar is the technical aspect. The second is the commercial. The third is 
the regulatory and all the regulations that come into force or we are under <coughs> discussion now. And the last one, I will think I will borrow uh, a phrase from uh, ICS, uh, is the fourth uh, proportional evolution, where it refers there to uh, the green uh, alternative fuels and eventually the way to be burned either uh, through combustion engines or uh, maybe fuel cells, etc. Going now to uh, a little bit to the technical, I think it has been a lot of times said that uh, uh, shipping enter now into the transitional period. Uh, I believe shipping enter already 15 years ago in the trans transitional period. We know that uh, the derating of main engines and the um, electronic control uh, injection systems are already beginning of the previous decade in plan, in force. Uh, every ship delivered after 2013 already has an electronic derated engine, and later on there, are, there were also ultra long strong engines. Those engines, they contributed uh, towards reduction of the actual reduction of the emissions of about uh, 20 to 30%. So shipping has been already in the transition, working not only on technical but on many other aspects. Um, going now to the commercial um, uh, aspect, I think there are too many uh, uh, things that the industry is looking or has already implemented, and there uh, is inevitably that the, co the close cooperation between the operators and the ship owners must be there because only the ship owners cannot determine the speed, the, the consumption, or the cargo, or uh, whatever else related with the transportation of the cargo. Therefore, uh, I think um, uh, the cooperation is a must, and it's something that will create uh, the, the platform uh, where commercially we can manage to gradually reduce uh, uh, the, the emissions. Uh, it, it is, uh, of course, important to say that uh, a missing part, and maybe IMO should regulate, is the coordination between the ports and the direct communication with the ships in order to uh, achieve the just time. Uh, you see uh, how many ships now are under congestion, maybe 1,500 I read recently, 1,500 uh, ships are uh, idle, and this most likely they sail with the uh, a speed, uh, recently higher speed than the eco speed that we used to have uh, 2020, and uh, we burned and we emitted unnecessarily. I think this communication should be one of your targets as uh, IMO to globally regulate how uh, the ships and the ports are communicating and align their interests uh, towards that direction. Going out to the regulations, I think uh, addressing the IMO uh, regulations as the short-term measures, uh, we have the first implementation now, 1st of January 2023, the EXI, with the CIIs and the SEMT, and there um, I have uh, a, a lot of uh, um, questions regarding how this will work, 
and whether the way it is calculated, the CII, the AER, uh, the annual um, emissions ratio, uh, will be uh, something useful for the future uh, or not. And I will explain why, because uh, you have, the formula is very simple. Uh, it's total emissions divided by dead weight, not the cargo carried, dead weight multiplied by the distance uh, covered. And in some cases, the ship owner will be forced to sail ballast in order to reduce the CII's. Emitting more, but on the numbers will be better. I think this is something that we need to consider uh, seriously. Uh, we, as uh, um, ex or Shibon associations, we, uh, uh, we are welcoming uh, the earlier uh, implementation of the uh, phase three. Uh, it has been moved uh, uh, from 2025 to 2022. Uh, I think this will help a lot uh, because all the ships, they have to comply uh, going forward with at least an additional 10% reduction. Uh, going now to the mid-term measures, uh, I think uh, uh, we are all expecting the market-based measure, a carbon levy, uh, which is aligned with the ICS proposal, and uh, we fully support that, and hopefully uh, discussed many times with uh, DG Move or the European Commission, when this coming force, EU ETS may go away, uh, because we cannot pay double. Uh, but what is now very important for us is uh, the lifetime uh, uh, cycle analysis uh, for the, uh, the alternative fuels. It is very important uh, because uh, we need to calculate uh, all these uh, alternative fuels from well to wake. And this is the reason we need green alternative fuels. Alternative fuels, if they are black, it's like uh, you charge the um, battery car from uh, the electricity uh, coming out of fossil fuels. It's exactly the same effect. So it's something that is very important uh, for IMO, IMO to proceed very fast to, uh, for this life cycle analysis. Uh, going now a bit to the uh, EU regulations, um, I think um, uh, it's a fact uh, John, it's a fact. We have to cope with the regulations and we have to contribute as shipowners uh, towards uh, the implementation of both the UETS fuel EU and uh, even uh, a lot of other uh, regulations out of the 13 of Fit for 55. What is very important for us is that these regulations are technology neutral. And I think this helps a lot uh, our industry. Uh, having said that, uh, EXA uh, has been playing a very constructive role uh, towards uh, the, uh, the Commission and the, level, and the development of these regulations. And I think we, we try to uh, help uh, Move, DG Climate, and all the other directories to understand our position, our problematic, the difficulties for implementing the regulations. And I'm glad that uh, uh, we have been having and still have an excellent communication, especially also with Magda. And the aim of EXA is to create uh, or to at least have these regulations implemented without uh, impacting the competitiveness of the European uh, shipping, first, and second, uh, to maintain the level playing field. 
which is uh, very important. Uh, I'm just concluding very, very quick. Uh, for me, uh, fuel EU uh, is very important. I have doubts how you can start with two or even six now with the amended uh, proposal and going to 75% of biofuels without changing the engine. I'm an engineer. I know that if you ask the main engine manufacturers, they say yes, but, and I think it's a very, uh, might be a trap for the ship owners. Therefore, we have to look it uh, a little closer. And I share the opinion of, uh, of John that uh, I think we need <laughs> shared responsibility with the fuel suppliers. You cannot leave them out because they are uh, those supplying the fuels and they have to issue their necessary certificates and be responsible for what they are doing. I'm, I'm very glad that I had, uh, um, I read recently the report from uh, the reporter of uh, uh, Parliamentary Committee Envy, and as a recital includes this uh, responsibility uh, to uh, the suppliers, and I hope that this will come uh, into uh, legislation uh, sooner than later. Uh, I will stop here. Uh, what is important also, Magda, for, for us is uh, the multiplier effect for uh, using biofuels. Uh, and we set the target for having a multiplier effect of four. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Philippe. I think we'll give uh, Magda the opportunity to, to reply to, to all this, but uh, before, before we do so, um, if I may ask um, um, Guy, I mean, we ha uh, there was quite a lot of uh, discussion about technologies and fuels. Uh, turning to, to, fuel, to fuels in, in particular, uh, where do we stand? Uh, is there any, any kind of, um, I mean, what needs to be addressed um, during this implementation stage? Uh, thank you, Alex, and thank you also to the organisers. It's uh, great to do these panels in the flesh, so to speak, rather than remotely and virtually, although we have good arguments even when it's done that way. But, um, but uh, you know, and just before I turn to that as well, is, is I think there's more that unites us than divides us mm -hmm. in terms of that, and, you know, particularly the regulators and the people who have to comply with the regulation. I mean, you know, we've all got the same shared objective we want to get out of this. It's, it's the methodology of getting there. I mean, and we you know, fundamentally believe in global regulation rather than regional level, uh, regulation. I think that's something we've just got to guard against, that we don't have all sorts of different uh, chaos, almost, by different regions imposing different regulations when we're all trying to achieve the same thing. So I would make that point. Um, we heard this morning some really good presentations, one from ABS actually stuck in my mind, which was the sheer quantities of um, the new fuels we're going to need. Um, we still don't know yet whether it's going to be ammonia, hydrogen, methanol. The jury's still out. And so ship owners, whether they're looking for a 25-year lifespan of a ship, they're having to make real bets now as to what that's likely to be. So we, we need a, a lot more research and development still. Not so much on whether there'll be engines capable of, of um, uh, burning these, but also on the whole infrastructure, the safety case. I mean, the, you know, ICS is for a market-based measure, a levy-based system is our preference, absolutely. But we also, in advance of that, and it's not a market-based measure, but something ready to go now, is the industry's proposal for a research and development fund, a $5 billion R&D fund, which will be paid for by a $2 levy on fuel consumed. Um, and that will raise significant sums of money, which can then be used to 
take the technology readiness levels to that to a point where it can be implemented so we can get those zero carbon ships in service from 2030 onwards because that's going to be our target if we're actually going to achieve the ambitious 2050 uh, objectives and we've just shown we, we did some work with Ricardo that um, which has identified over 150 major technical challenges which lie ahead and over 250 major R&D projects which will need to be undertaken by the proposed fund uh, if these large number of ships are to be in service as well. And I think it's also worth bearing in mind, even if we solve those problems, it is going to be one of supply of the new fuels as well. At the moment, let's face it, we, we burn a lot of fuels which maybe others don't particularly want. Um, so it's, it's, it's always worked out in our favour. But if it's going to be ammonia or hydrogen, we're going to be competing exactly the same as every other industry. And the figures shown today by ABS just showed what was needed to be produced just to keep the shipping industry going. And so when you take in all the other industries, I think there's a major policy challenge from governments as well. I think conceptually the industry's got it now, what we need to do. But what we also need now is a sense that ambition from governments that they're actually going to be able to produce these fuels and the infrastructure is going to be in place in order for those investment decisions to be made. I mean, I, we, we had a, a conference in Glasgow at COP26 and you know, a number of ship owners stood up and actually said, we want more regulation, which is highly unusual for a businessman to say. But the reason for that is that's going to de-risk the investments if we know what's coming. But we also need to couple that with the production of the fuels in order to make this happen. So there's a challenge facing our industry, but it's, we can't operate in isolation to what else is going on in the world. So I'm sort of rambling a little bit, but that's effectively it. There needs to be a lot more R&D to get the technology at the right levels. We need to invest in the new fuels, and we need to have some certainty what those new fuels are going to be. And that's going to take a lot of work, a lot of cooperation, if we're going to, to reach the really ambitious targets that we set ourselves. That's great. Thank you. Thank you, Guy. And um, I, th I think I'll, I'll give um, uh, Magda now the opportunity to, to respond to some uh, <laughs> of the criticism that we, we heard from, uh, from mainly from the owner side. Um, but in addition to that, uh, Magda, if you would like to also um, uh, tell us how, um, um, there, I mean, there is a lot of investment cost coming up, obviously, and, and not only from shipping companies, but also uh, in relation, you know, to ports and um, uh, there is lots to be done and a huge cost. So uh, how would you propose that this cost is, uh, um, is apportioned, basically, and, and apart from the cost of responsibility as well? Um, thank you. Um, you might have seen a couple of minutes ago that I put this paper in the direction of Alexander asking. So are we going with the question or are we back to discussion? Because what normally happens, I answer and then everybody else answers to me and that's how this panel hopefully will continue to go for how much, however much time we have. But thank you for giving me the floor first. And it's, I actually, I didn't take what I heard as criticism. I, I took it as uh, questions for considerations. Um, interestingly, um, not necessarily new, many of them I've heard before. I thought we have clarified things on several occasions because indeed we have been having, I think, very, very good and frequent discussions with uh, ship owners associations, but also with individual companies. And, and just, to, just to recall a few things, principle of technological neutrality absolutely there because this is something we have been asked from day one by ship ship owners, associations, this has to be the case. But of course, technological neutrality means that we don't prescribe any fuel at this moment. So we end up with this fantastic slide from ABS showing all 
different types of fuels which are possible. And then when we talk to companies, companies will tell us, well, for our segment of shipping, maybe this. For another company or another sector of shipping will tell us, for our sector of shipping, maybe that, which does add to this on the one hand, more uncertainty and lack of clarity, which for me only stresses what I said before. We need that regulatory framework fast. The faster it's there, the faster you will know what will be needed. And that brings me to the other point uh, that, that that guy just raised. Indeed, again, slide from ABS showing the huge amounts of alternative fuels that have to be there. But honestly, they don't have to be there, all of them, tomorrow. That was the slide that was showing amounts of fuels that will have to be there if we want to reach decarbonization of shipping industry. But again, for the production of those fuels, testing and extremely important safety aspects related to those fuels to start being developed and confirmed and agreed upon, we need to know what it is that we are talking about when it comes to, to regulatory framework. Um, I would love to go into greater details when it comes to fuel EU, and we could spend the rest of the afternoon talking about that, but I will not, but I actually want to come back to one point, and it is a point that we've been discussing a lot, it's this question of the role of fuel suppliers in the chain of responsibility. Just to recall how fuel EU is structured at this moment, ships calling at EU ports will need to demonstrate on an annual basis that they are using cleaner fuels, cleaner by a certain percentage of uh, greenhouse gas intensity reduction. That percentage starts very low at 2% 2025, going all the way to 75? Thank you. Oh, there you go. I was checking whether they remember. They do. 70, 70, wait, 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 wait. 75 percent in 2050. What's happening now with the proposal is discussing the council, is discussing the parliament, parts of the parliament, and some EU member states propose higher targets. It's not yet amended. It's not yet agreed. And Commission, when asked, we say we support the proposal we put in the, on the table, especially that we believe it's a system that will need time to be built. So we believe it's a, it's a good approach. If, in the end, Parliament and Council decide otherwise, well, we'll need to see how to adjust to that. Having said that, we discussed a lot before the proposal was put on the table, whether we should follow the approach where we will mandate ships calling at EU port to bunker in the EU port, and because then we can mandate fuel supplies. I mean, you would hate us for that. You would hate us for that if we told you that from now on, all your bunker needs to come needs to come from the EU, and every time you come to the EU, you need to have a way to fill up your your tank with with fuel bunkers in the EU. It it actually doesn't it, it wouldn't even work. I think, of course, I know that it's arranged for aviation, but it's a bit easier for planes because basically they they land with nearly empty tank and they tank in every airport where they are. Plus, all of planes use the same fuel. This is not the case for shipping. At the same time, I completely fully agree that we need to have an effective system to guarantee that whatever fuel you will bunker out of the EU, outside the EU, it will be compliant. But I said at the beginning, you will need to report 
on an annual basis. If you call at EU port once, two, three times a year, everything else that you're going to bunker, you will bunker whatever you like. We don't. We will not be able to tell you what you should bunker when you, on, when when you're not trading with EU ports. So we do believe there is a way out. We are working to make sure that there is a certification system in place that will offer you the necessary guarantee to get the right fuel. And we are discussing with the IMO how this question of certification for fuels can be developed, because if we are talking about alternative fuels or fuel standards at the global level, this fuel standard will not work if we don't have a global certification system. And I stop here, but I have many more things, but I will, I will talk bilaterally later. Your question on funding, very important. In a way, for the infrastructure on land, it's a bit easier because you know, we, we will have a regulatory uh, framework at the EU level where infrastructure for alternative fuels will need to be made available in ports. And there will be funding from national budgets. There will be funding also from <coughs> European budgets. It gets trickier, I think, when it comes to the, to the global measure. And I think this is a very important element of the discussion that we need to have when it comes to global uh, measure. How will we help all countries worldwide to be ready for this forced propulsion revolution or for this decarbonization of shipping? Because they will need to invest. And again, I stop here. But I could speak for <laughs> Thank you, Magda. I see that Philippos would like to, to take um, uh, thank you, Alexander. Only a minute. Mm -hmm. um, very, very important for us is that uh, we are requesting uh, the Commission, both on EU ETS and uh, fuel EU penalties, actually, uh, to uh, earn marking all this money in a special a sector uh, dedicated fund. And it, it is in line with, uh, actually, uh, the rapporteur of uh, the Parliament, uh, Mr. Lise, for the Ocean Fund. The reason we are uh, we are asking is not uh, is not only just uh, some money will go to R&D because R&D is already on the way on many aspects. What is important in order for incentivize us the ship owners to move it to greener fuels, which are multiple priced, uh, we need some uh, somebody to bridge the gap of the price difference. And maybe the instrument with the carbon contracts for difference, and maybe new instruments maybe come out from uh, uh, the financial institutions, will help towards that, that direction. And for us, it's of utmost importance to think seriously on allowing this uh, development of a, a sector's dedicated fund with uh, uh, enormous amount of this money flowing into that fund. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I'm conscious of the time, but it would be useful also to um, hear your views on uh, collaboration between uh, market participants and uh, between regulators as well. So, I'll, I'll, uh, Arsenio, would you like to give us your view? Yes, and um, we're short on time, and I think we can spend yeah. the whole afternoon just having a conversation amongst ourselves, and, uh, we, and we, we really enjoy the topic. Another thing that I heard today, one of the presentations, and I hope that I can repeat this, is that uh, three Greeks will have four opinions. Um, now, it doesn't apply just that way. Now think about 175 countries having their own opinion in order to actually come into uh, a final solution. But the organization has done it several times. 
And if you listen to the way that we are talking with each other here, yes, CII, you have a view on it, but as you also mentioned, comes from all the work that has been done more than 10 years ago on the EEDI, so we know where the ships are. And just look at also the, and, and, I, and I hope that I'm not getting trouble using the word um, flexibility or the facing approach, where we are going to keep the CII on the review because we need the experience. But at least it starts guiding us into the, the, the right direction. Um, fuel supplying responsibilities. It's not the first time that we're discussing that at the IMO. But we are all asking for it. Everybody here is, is mentioning it. We just need to get our heads together into how we're going to do that. And all this goes back into that cooperation that is necessary. Um, everybody needs to accept or will have to accept in a way that there will be sometimes more challenging than others. But all those challenges also provide opportunities. And this is where R&D is necessary. Um, we all keep uh, hearing about the same fields, the scalability. We need those that can actually start putting forward the scalability and that information and the infrastructure to do so and then cooperate with other countries, other areas in the world, so we have a global approach. So all the pieces are there. The puzzle is not easy to solve. That's where we come in as an organization. And there are times that we're going to be criticized for not acting fast enough, but it's because we need to take into account all the opinions that we have heard here. When we, we are discussing market-based measures, there are several proposals. We now have six proposals on the table. Um, and it comes from all different parts of the world. So we know where we're going. It's how we're going to get there. But we all have the same goal. None of us have really disagreed up here. We may have slightly different opinions on timings, on the formulas, but on, on how to get there. But we all actually go into the same place. And, and this is where, you know, if the EU with the MRB you know, started going ahead, IMO caught up with it. We ended up with the data collection system, sort of very similar with each other. It has happened before. It can happen again. We just need everyone to keep having that um, focus on on the outcome that we're all aiming at, which is the decarbonization of the industry in the appropriate way, providing that collaboration, that support with each other. And I need to stop because otherwise I will not give the chance to anyone else. Great, thank you. It's, it's great to see that we all have a common uh, object, <laughs> objective. Um, if, I may, um, if I may change a bit the, the, the subject then, and uh, uh, I mean, apart from decarbonization, there is also a lot of regulation on uh, ship recycling, and uh, I don't know if, uh, I mean, we have EU, uh, at EU regulation at EU level, um, we have the Hague Convention and so on, the national level. Um, would anyone uh, like to um, um, tell us uh, their views on uh, um, how this, this kind of regulation, how um, do we promote responsible recycling without, again, distorting, distorting the market and the um, playing level, level playing field? Yeah, up to you, I mean. Right, take. Um, okay, speaking on behalf of EXA, uh, we will come all these efforts uh, for the ship recycling regulation because we are aiming for safe, environmental friendly, and, uh, and also for uh, uh, healthy recycling of, uh, of the ships. Uh, European shipping is committed. Uh, uh, we want not to risk any longer lives uh, to take care of the health and take care of the environment. I think the new proposal of uh, uh, European Commission, uh, we will come this because now 
with the waste uh, shipment regulation, uh, we are amending the ship recycling uh, uh, list and will include also not OECD uh, countries uh, that they are fulfilling the criteria. And we know that uh, there are European companies that they invested heavily in Asia, like in, in India mainly, and they fulfill uh, the criteria that can be included in, in, in this list. Uh, what is important is that we need, as Europeans, uh, we cannot escape from the regulation, but we need capacity. And the capacity at this moment is not adequate. And having implementation of all these IMO regulations, etc., we will see in the future increase uh, scrubbing activity because uh, some older technologies may not cope with, uh, 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 with um, uh, CIIs. Uh, very important for us is to uh, have uh, Hong Kong Convention as soon as possible approved, uh, because then uh, will be uh, um, a very good uh, development for the entire shipping industry. Great, thank you. Yes. Yeah, and just on a positive note, it's, it's it is hope that that will come into force next year. So I think we should put some faith into that and, in the and, Hong Kong. In the Hong Kong, yeah. Hong Kong yeah. Thank you. Uh, I think uh, if we have um, a few minutes left, uh, I think there are a couple of questions. I can see some hands up. So uh, do we have a microphone perhaps we can use? Actually, we are five minutes late, but I think the subject is worth definitely a few more minutes. If they work, short questions, and we'll do our best. <laughs> Yes, Mr. Chairman, uh, I'd like to thanks very much for the presentations. I just want to ask one question, which I think Philippus Felis is probably on the same page as, as me because we're involved with EXA. I've been involved with EXA for quite a few years. The question is, are the regulators going to find themselves in a position to be on the same page? We have a problem here where since Brexit, the English government has got different targets for zero emissions to the IMO, and secondly, just as a reminder, we have to also mention that don't forget the people or the or concerns who are there to develop all this situation with the with decarbonisation are number one the manufacturers of engines or the shipbuilders as such, and the engine refineries. Now this situation is an old story, and I'm very perturbed and very uh, concerned about the fact that I still find that there's a lot of inconsistency with the regulations. And I don't think we're going to go anywhere forward unless we actually align all our ideas and what can be done. And not to forget, last not least, that you cannot build Rome overnight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for this comment. I um, don't know if anybody would like to, to comment on, on this. but Only to say that's why we, we need a global regulation so that we can take all these different points of view into account and actually come with one consistent regulation going forward, one which, which there's some certainty about investment, some certainty around. And if you, the global regulation works, if you look at SOLAS, MARPOL, so many different conventions, the Maritime Labour Convention, I'm immensely proud that our industry is the only industry which regulates its workforce through a convention, no other one does. So I think if we can spend the time and we can work together, then we can achieve what, what's needed to do. But I completely agree that fragmentation is, is going to do no one any favours. Thank you. I think I see a couple of more hands up, so... Please. Thank you, Mr. 
Thank you, Mr. Um, for those of us who are not very proficient in English, I would like to translate properly some of the statements which were made by the panel, especially by my old friend Magda. And Magda, I see we used to meet many, many years ago when you were an austere technocrat in Brussels, but now I see you have also moved to more of a political kind of statement. Uh, Otherwise, uh, I just can't explain how you can honestly tell us that the EU is sincerely and honestly cooperating with the IMO. In fact, we all know that this is not the case. And we all know that your dream is that IMO gets nowhere and you will impose your own European policies unilaterally regionally and to the great detriment of the shipping industry. And one can speak as much as one wants about the technicalities and how decarbonization will happen and what we have to do and who will invest in what. But I only want to warn about one thing. Those policies which you follow are driving shipping out of Europe. Out of four ships that are built today, only one comes under European flag. And I fear that if you continue this aggressive policy against shipping, as it is, looking for money and taxes, then we are in great risk to repeat what has happened, what you, the EU, has done to the shipbuilding industry, which 25 years ago was wholesale killed in Europe and sent to the Far East. So this is one point. Now, what will happen henceforth in, in the development of shipping and in relation with decarbonization. We know what will happen. What will happen is what the big, huge liner companies will dictate. The companies which have made $200 billion profits last year and this year, they are against the operators and the cargo people sharing part of the decarbonization cost. And I'm not sure if there is a slight crack in the unified policy of the European Commission, which uh, repeats and, and stands behind this very policy. Only the ship has to pay and no one else. Finally, we can talk for ages about technicalities and the indices and how the ships can perform better. We all know that there is medium term only before we come to the maturity of new technology fuels, we know that there is only one and only one method to reduce drastically CO2 emissions, and this is the reduction of speed. But because everybody is ashamed to call the reduction of speed a reduction of speed, we call it with different other names in the same way as people who are engaged in, in dubious professions, try to use other words. All this, all this talk about engine limitation, uh, consumption limitation, operational measures, is only a translation of the word less speed. So, by concluding, I fully agree with what my successor at EXA, Philippos, has said what Yanis has said on behalf of the Greek Shibonis Union, what Arsenio from the IMO has said, 
But I can't agree with the European Union's position, have never agreed, and I am afraid that unless you change course, not the IMO, the IMO is the world regulator. You are a regional regulator. And therefore, the question arises, who will regulate the regional regulators? So I am please plead with you to rethink your broad strategy. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Lascaridis. Uh, Magda, I think uh, the floor is yours. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Panos. I think many people in the room do, do regret now that they haven't heard our previous exchanges because I think they got a taste of what they could have been uh, in the past. And I have always appreciated the possibility to discuss things with you, although, as probably everybody in the room has, has realized, we have not always agreed. We agreed occasionally, but not always. And I take your words about moving from a technocrat to a political statement as a compliment, so thank you very much for that. Um, but, but I can't discuss intentions, uh, because if I tell you that we do want to work with IMO and we've been a fervent defender of the IMO on many occasions, you need, we would need to take my words for that, because if you, if you, don't, if you, if you think it's, it's differently, then you, then you think it's differently. Having said that, uh, there is a different speed of, of working, and it is easier if you're smaller to do things. It's, it, it, there is a reason why sometimes very small countries move very fast with some very deep-reaching changes, and I would think, for example, digitalization for several countries that transformed completely overnight, while bigger countries or bigger organizations or bodies take time for that. But you referred to the, to the question of number of, of, of ships uh, under EU flag. I don't think this number has changed that significantly recently. And more importantly, the way the legislation is structured, it will apply to everybody regardless of flag. So whether you are flagged in EU member state or not, you will be subject to the legislation when you call at EU port. So it's not a question of the flag, it's a question where you're trading. And EU does remain an important trading block, and it will remain an important trading block where ships will be calling. Again, and I said it on many occasions, and also to EXA, and also to EXA when you were president, you want to see you don't want regional legislation, make sure that the global legislation happens fast. Because I didn't say it at the beginning, but one of the reasons why we had to come up with solutions was that there was this very strong, very clear political mandate from last European Parliament elections that stated we want greening of European economy across all sectors. And if you're asking who's controlling the regional uh, regulator, well, it's actually also you with your elections in the European Parliament, in the, in the Council. We only put things on the table. The ultimate end of that proposal will be determined by the Parliament and the Council. So I'm not overtly, overtly concerned with the lack of control. But having said that, and I'm sorry it will not sound modest, but the fact that we put on the table two proposals last July, one for a market-based measure and one for a fuel standard, did influence 
the discussion in the IMO, because I think, and Arsenio, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what we are going to have on the table when it comes to the revision of the strategy, hopefully next year, will be actually, again, a basket of measures, a technical measure, like a fuel standard, and a market-based measure. And rest assured that for those two measures, we'll be more than happy to, to work with the IMO. And when I say we, I say the European Commission, but I also know that EU member states who actually sit in the IMO and discuss will also be working to achieve the same objective. Thank you very much. Thank you, Magda. Um, I think there is one more question, but I don't know if we have uh, time, Nicola. OK, thank you. Please. Uh, are we going to have any time soon some uh, a replacement of ISO 8217, which is really outdated, allows legally to be contaminated with dioxins and so forth, and uh, uh, I cannot be protected to put on board my ship uh, a really uh, non-contaminated fuel, and this is legal. So I hope your standards uh, actually address that when they come out. Yeah. Um, uh, thank you. We, we, we work very closely with ISO, and um, all the recent um, uh, press releases are actually put even more pressure on that. And uh, the work that, uh, from the safety aspects that we're actually carrying out on it, it's also connecting out with the environmental uh, regulations. So it is expected within the organization that we actually start already looking into it and what the, the, the consequences are and then see what kind of regulations or, or agreements we can actually put in place. But it is on the table. It's something that is not going um, unnoticed uh, at the level of the organization. Thank you very much for your attention and uh, for all the questions. Thank you. Thank you.